Hello podcast listeners, my name is Susanna Roberts and welcome to the Property Woman podcast where we are exploring the many opportunities available in the real estate industry. My guest today is a household name in the market. Described as an investment queen, her career in capital markets has spanned over 20 years and has seen her be head of national investment before becoming managing director of capital markets at CBRE, where she's still an executive director. She currently sits on numerous boards and is a non-executive director at Seagro and Helical, as well as being a member of the committee of management at Hermes Property Unit Trust and chair of the Barwood Property Fund. Outside of work, she's a relentless campaigner for diversity in the industry. Her campaigns are too numerous to state, but I'm gonna give it a go. Since 2012, she's been the chair of CBRE's Women's Network, member of the Duke of Edinburgh Awards Women's Network Forum, and a trustee of the Reading Real Estate Foundation. She's also a co-founder and sits on the management committee of Real Estate Balance, an organisation focused on getting more women into senior positions across real estate. All this whilst being a mother to two children and married to former England rugby player Marcus Rose. Please welcome Sue Clayton. (laughs) Thank you. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Sue, you must love being busy. Have you always been this driven? I think I've always had lots of energy and lots of enthusiasm for things. So as well as work things, if ever there's been an opportunity to get involved in other things, I've tended to do that. And being a full-time worker, combining that with a mum, that kept me pretty busy. And more recently, I've taken up some of these non-executive directorships because I'm part-time at CBRE and I wanted to do things that would push me a little bit out of my comfort zone and it's good to still be learning at my age. And why did you choose property as a career? I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, thought I might do law and then talking to a couple of surveyors back in Derbyshire where I was brought up realised that there was a whole range of different careers you could follow so I thought I would go to Reading, study real estate and then if I still fancied law I could have gone on to law school But once there, I realised that actually property was for me. You are currently an executive director and run some of CBRE's biggest client relationships. What do you advise your clients on? It's a fairly strategic role. And in the case of, say, M&G Real Estate, where I'm the global account director, we are then looking at trying to maximise their strategic opportunities across the world. So I'm in touch with teams in Asia Pac and across Europe to try and make sure that we're delivering on their strategic objectives. And I really like working with those clients beyond just an investment role, which is how I first would have got to know them. So now it's more about delivering on their strategies. And how do you create, and more importantly, retain a strong and trusting relationship? I think, certainly for me, it's really been a matter of thinking about these as long-term relationships, not thinking about just next year's fee income or the next deal that you can do. So I think building up some long-term and strong personal relationships, combined with always putting the client's best interests first, not necessarily the firm's in some case, so that you become a trusted advisor. And if you give good, honest advice, 
and can show that you have good judgment, I think clients will come to trust you and you end up very much working with them in a partnership type of approach as opposed to a broker client type of approach. You started your career as a graduate at Richards Ellis, which later went on to become CBRE, and you were until 2007 the Managing Director of Capital Markets. For our listeners who are not quite sure, what are capital markets? Within real estate, effectively, following our acquisition at Richard Ellis by an American firm, what was called investment agency overnight became known as capital markets. So in that context, it was really investment brokerage, buying and selling commercial investments on behalf of UK or other clients. In its broader sense, it would probably also now include in our terms, capital advisory type work or real estate finance work, some firms may call that. And that could include debt placements, equity raising, structured finance. So in its broadest terms, that's what capital markets encompasses. But actually, with most real estate firms, it means investment brokerage. It just sounds a bit more complicated. (laughs) You were involved in some pretty major projects and transactions, such as the creation of a 300 million portfolio for the BBC pension scheme. What do you think makes a good agent? I think really understanding the client's objectives and looking at the context in which they're making individual investment decisions, so that instead of just bringing them a deal because you know it's available, you've actually really thought, how will this fit into their portfolio? Mm -hmm. So looking at their long-term objectives, what their performance criteria are, and really trying to become that trusted advisor that I mentioned earlier, and so they can deliver on what they're trying to achieve. When you were running any of these deals, did you ever feel nervous or suffer from a form of imposter syndrome, even at times? If so, how did you deal with this? I think occasionally we all have moments where maybe some self-doubt creeps in. I think I was lucky to have some really good people around me that I worked with who had the confidence in me and demonstrated that. So that helped my self-belief and self-confidence. And I think you have to remind yourself that you are in the room because the client has chosen you to be and you're justifying your place there. So there's no need to feel that actually you're inferior to anybody else. But I I think I was lucky with the clients and colleagues around me to really help with that. You are widely known in the property industry and described as the investment queen by BizNow in their top 51 women in real estate in which you were listed. When did you know you had made it? Um, I'm not sure you ever think you've made it, to be honest. Um, And some of those lists clearly will include one year and not another year, but I don't pay that much attention to things like that. I'm not sure you ever think you've made it. I think there's always things you can do to push yourself a bit further, find things that are more interesting to do. And I would always encourage everybody to keep yeah, pushing themselves and thinking, actually, I'll have a go at that because what's the worst that can happen? Given your many commitments, what does your typical working day look like? Well, as I say, I'm part-time at CBRE. So today I'm in there today. I've got a meeting with a client team mid-morning. I've got lunch with a client. And then this afternoon I've got a conference call on a helical matter, which will only take a quarter of an hour, but I'm fitting that in. 
And then we have a real estate balance membership committee meeting at four o'clock this afternoon. So we'll be looking at how we get even more corporate members to join real estate balance. And perhaps we can talk about real estate balance a little later on. Definitely. This is a tricky question. What do you like most and least about your jobs? I think most is the variety. The fact that it's very different sitting as a non-executive director at, say, Seagro, than it is being an exec director at CBRE. So I like that variety. Ultimately, I think it's always about the people. I very much have chosen to work with companies that I really admire and really enjoy being with the teams and the people, both around the board table, but also within the businesses. So for me, the people enjoy the least, sometimes could be the people. (laughs) Um, I think now I don't suffer fools that much sort of grown beyond that and as an investment agent when I was still doing broking latterly I very much worked with a handful of really strong clients and didn't want to work with some people that actually I just didn't want to work with. Okay Sue so this is the most important part of the interview it's also known as our five quick tick questions. Drum roll please. Sue office or industrial industrial hard hat or high vis high vis nia or gia gia prime city center or value add regional prime city center football or rugby have to be rugby i'm going to the world cup final um flying out tomorrow i'm so jealous oh come on england So we're now coming into our second part of the interview where we're talking a bit more about theoretical and market relevant questions. So Sue, when you're learning about real estate, I think it's easy to get bogged down in all the detail and the theory. Could you sum up what in theory makes a good investment? Yes, I think the location, because actually you can always change the building by redevelopment or refurbishment, but what you can't do is move it. So location would be the first one. And then if it's an investment asset, I would always look at the potential returns that it will throw off. So that is looking at the current and potential income stream, how secure that is, what's the potential for rental growth, what are the opportunities for added value through asset management. And it's really a combination of all those things. What makes a good investment for one investor will be very different from another. If you're a long income fund, you really are looking for a very secure cash flow from a very strong tenant covenant. You might not mind that it may not grow hugely over the income flow, but if it's matching, say, your annuity obligations, that income stream is all important. If you're a value-add investor, you may be willing to take more risk around the strength of the tenants, but you'll be looking for value-add opportunities through letting, if there's voids, lease restructurings, redevelopment, and all those sort of things. So I think the answer does vary according to what type of investor you are. What, in your opinion, makes a good investment in the current market today? Um, I'm a big fan of industrial and logistics, so your company's area, and I'm not just saying that. That sector is benefiting hugely from internet retailing 
and in the same way as that's affecting high street retailing, the logistics sector is benefiting. Plus, industrial around city centres is in really strong demand, and we've seen a lot of those go to alternative uses. So where we can get city centre industrial, there is very strong demand. I'm also a fan of central London. Central London offices, I think, have good potential for rental growth. We're beginning to see a drying up of supply when we look at supply stats looking ahead to around 2022-23. There's only a 4% vacancy rate. And our central London prime yield at 4% is still considerably ahead of prime offices in Frankfurt, Tokyo, in Paris. So actually, I think that prime yield offers, particularly international investors, quite good value. So city centre offices and industrial and logistics. You have said that the post-heroic leader comes to the fore in challenging markets. What did you mean by this? I think it's a term that was around a few years ago. And for me, it means that the leaders of the best companies today are those who are very much team players, very collaborative, and demonstrate that they listen to other people. They're probably lower ego than some of the people who ran the firms 10, 20 years ago. But I think if you look at our successful REITs, for example, the nature of those leaders has changed over the years. And I think in more challenging markets that we find ourselves now, it's those type of leaders who are likely to succeed. You are one of the founding members and sit on the management committee of Real Estate Balance, which we mentioned earlier which itself aims for 33% of senior positions in the real estate sector to be held by women. That is one mean feat. For those who are not aware of real estate balance, what is it and how does it aim to achieve this objective? It's an organisation that myself and six others set up about four years ago as we were all at senior positions in different firms across the industry. So in law, in banking, in fund management and in an advisory firm in my case. And we wanted to make sure that there was every opportunity for other women to get to the senior levels that we'd been able to do so. And what we have managed to do is approach it from a top-down as well as a bottom-up approach. So we've enlisted a lot of CEO support and leaders of many of our corporate members are really determined to try and drive cultural change within their organisations such that we end up with many more women. In fact, ultimately, we would like to see 50-50 at senior leadership levels. So it's been a matter of working with the industry and across it with all sorts of different organisations and leaders to make sure that we're able to influence change. We also tackle it from the bottom up and try and encourage emerging talent, but also look at middle management if there are any blockages as to why women are not able to progress as they should be, what can be done there, whether it's unconscious bias training or helping everybody through policies like flexible working and others to just encourage more women to be able to reach their potential. And am I right in thinking another differentiator with real estate balance is that the CEOs are personally signing up to it? Yes, absolutely. We have what we call our 10 CEO commitments. And so each of those CEOs undertakes that they will 
look to drive change within their organization, make sure that recruitment and promotion opportunities are completely fair. More practical things like not sitting on a panel that is all male, if it can possibly be avoided, and challenging the organizers to make sure they get a mixed panel. And also speaking publicly about their commitment and their support. And the reaction and support we've had from that leadership group has been fantastic. So there is a real appetite to change. And a lot of them just want us to be able to help them do that. Doing these podcasts, a factor which occurred to me, which had not occurred to me before, was if I find it difficult to look ahead and see senior women and role models for me, what is it like for a senior woman? What would you advise any senior real estate women listening to this podcast to do if they were feeling uninspired or altogether a little bit lost in their careers? I think seeking out both formal and informal mentors, and that could be somebody from within their business, or it could be a client if they're on the advisory side, or it could be somebody from completely outside the industry, but who they respect and can see has been able to succeed. So I think seeking out mentors, and sometimes that might sit within your family, I think, My father was a a good mentor for me. And then also, if it's possible within their organization, trying to get sponsorship, which is when somebody more senior is really then advocating for them and really has an eye out to, to their career to try and make sure that they progress. So I think it's probably about being proactive and going out there and finding mentors and sponsors if you can. There are various networking and supportive networks in the sector aimed at gender equality, one of which is the Women's Network at CBRE, which we've mentioned you've chaired since 2012. Why do you think, despite all the attention and efforts, for example, CBRE run the apprenticeship scheme and have a 50-50 graduate intake, the imbalance is still so apparent? Less than 14% of UK surveyors are female as at 2018 by a survey by the RICS. And that's before you look at the senior ranks where many women's careers seem to plateau due to having children and family commitments. What do you think needs to happen to bring about lasting cultural change? I think acceptance and recognition that this is an issue. And I think measuring gender diversity statistics and things like the gender pay gap reporting actually has meant that now there is data on which people can focus and recognize that it is an issue. I think and within CBRE we've found that changing policies around maternity benefits, we involve external maternity coaching, we've now brought in full pay for men who take shared parental leave in the same amount as women, which encourages everybody to be involved in raising children and not just make it an issue for women. And then I think it's about changing the culture to make sure that it's a level playing field and that everybody is given every opportunity to thrive and that there aren't some inbuilt assumptions that just because a woman has been off on maternity leave and has then returned, that she's not going to want the next exciting project or the next promotion. I think it's easy to make assumptions and actually those need to be questioned. At CBRE as well, I think we've got better at agile working. 
So the necessity to be at one's desk from eight in the morning till seven at night is, is less and tech helps with that as well. And so I think trusting people that they will produce their best work, even if they're not sitting at their desks, can help everybody and particularly those that have caring responsibilities. So I think it's a combination. But I think the industry's changed and in that there is a real movement now wanting to make sure that we do get better at more women in senior positions. What do you think the real estate sector will look like in five years' time? I think a bit different from now. I think it will look more diverse with people of all different nationalities, backgrounds, hopefully social as well as ethnic backgrounds as well. I think inevitably we will find that there are more prop tech things around, some of which may have altered some of the tasks that maybe surveyors traditionally would have done. I think in terms of firms working with clients, there's going to be even more the need to be that trusted advisor and to use the data. I mean, I think access to big data is going to be huge and being able to bring that to the benefit of clients, certainly for the advisory firms, is going to be really important. So I think we will be employing a number of different types of people and probably fewer actual chartered surveyors than we would have done 10 or 15 years ago. I think that's already happening and I think that will continue. And that's probably good for the whole industry in terms of just changing things up and having different types of people working in the same industry yeah definitely and I think the average age in the industry will be younger which again I think potentially should make it more creative and a bit less set in its ways which as I say I think it's changing but there are still some areas where everything is still pretty much done like it has been through my career and finally Is there any advice you wish you'd been given at the start of your career that you would like to share with our listeners today? I think probably be yourself. If you're authentic and you act with integrity, then I think people will respect that and will want to work with you. And our family motto is go for it, which we use a lot. And actually, that would probably be my, if I was allowed three words, that would be it. Go for it. Thank you so much, Sue Clayton, for coming on to the Property Woman podcast.